Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. This is our inaugural episode, the the maiden voyage, if you will. Number one. Uh, number one. I'm joined by my, the co-host, uh, uh, Curtis Wister, the Larry Bird to my Kevin McHale. How are you doing right. today, Curtis? I'm well, Ben. How are you? I'm great. Um, so for those uh, joining us for the first time, this show is by us, uh, again, Curtis and I work for uh, Guidance Point Advisors, and we provide financial planning investment consulting advice to yep. our clients. And one of the things that happens with, with these meetings when we talk to our clients here at Guidance Point is sometimes, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out the money thing, right? Is, you know, how, how much money do I have? How much, how is it going to last? Mm-hmm. Uh, when do I retire? You know, these sorts of very standard questions. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times what you start getting into is you start digging into the client themselves and, and saying, all right, what are your fears? What do you want to do with your life? What is your purpose? Yeah. And that's what we wanted to do with this show is dig into, go beyond the money thing and go, let's go beyond the conversation of what's a Roth IRA versus a pre-tax IRA. Let's really talk about these underlying fears, these yeah. underlying concerns, these purpose-related things of what makes people tick mm-hmm. so that we can then do better in terms of aligning their financial resources to that purpose. Exactly. That's a lot of the show. Uh, again, we hope this keeps going. This is something we're really serious about, and we have some really great guests lined up for, for future episodes. But for the first show, when we're planning this out, Curtis, right? We talked about, all right, what, what's the, how do we kick this off? How do we really kind of get this going? Mm-hmm. So he said, you know what? What makes the most sense is maybe just dive into who is Guidance Point Advisors, Yeah, right? Who are we? What are we about? And for that, we wanted to bring in uh, our managing partner, Wes Delcol. So Wes is uh, joining us today. So again, Wes is the founder uh, and managing partner of, of Guidance Point Advisors, and he has a really uh, extensive uh, uh, career in financial services. Mm-hmm. We wanted to get into that a little bit and then talk about what's in, what makes us different at Guidance Point. Yeah. So at this point, I will welcome Wes to the show. Uh, Wes, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be here on the maiden voyage. <laughs> As you uh, stated, this is exciting, and I'm sure this will be a very long and prosperous journey. So right. we, we don't want this to be the Titanic that everyone listens to this show and says, that was awful. Don't ever go again. So hopefully we're exactly. hooking people for future shows. So Wes, what we want to do when we're kind of creating a show is to is have you on as our guest and and kind of have this this uh, interview that we're doing with our guests. Start with their bio, right? Is is get into well, where are you from? Talk about your upbringing and then how you got into that career path and how you kind of fell in love with the expertise part. Would you mind kind of walking us through that in terms of your upbringing, where you're from, and kind of how you fell into financial planning? Sure. So I was born and raised in Boston, downtown on uh, Beacon Street in an apartment. And perhaps it's uh, important to just give a little context about my parents My father was raised in Fort Lee, New Jersey. His parents had emigrated here from Italy. And so I grew up in an Italian uh, background. And my mother had grown up in Dorchester, Mass. And they met uh, on a beach uh, on Cape Cod. Uh, My father was celebrating. It was 1965. He was celebrating graduating from college and had gone down there with a bunch of friends. My mom was down there also with a bunch of friends. They didn't know each other. They met on the beach and they had moved initially to Fort Lee, New Jersey. And my father uh, was involved uh, in a mutual fund servicing company at the time. This is in the now early 70s. And so they decided to move to Boston because that's where at the time and still is today, Boston was a big mutual fund um, servicing area. So I then went to school 
in Brookline, Mass. I went to high school in Connecticut at a boarding school. And then it really wasn't until college that I started to think about what I was going to do with my career, what I wanted to do in life. And, you know, I had taken some of those tests, like the Myers-Briggs tests and these other personality tests in the 80s. And it always came out for me as teacher, coach, maybe even psychologist, something in that realm. And so I, I thought I, w- I would become a teacher. At least that was the, the day one goal. And so my senior year in college, as we often are all doing, we're calling around trying to uh, find our contacts, um, you know, reach out to people to see what jobs we could potentially get. And a lot of those re- people I was trying to get out to were friends of my fathers. And so most of the stuff that, that people had was, was financial services oriented. Right. Um, I also, as you know, things play out, had three friends at the time, high school friends who were moving to New York City to start their own careers. And so I said, geez, why don't I try to jump on with them? And I ended up getting a job at a company called Colson Services Corp., which was the fiscal and transfer agent for the Small Business Administration. So didn't have anything to do with teaching. And I, at that job, though, it was a lot of loan servicing. Uh, we were doing processing for the SBA, which is the Small Business Administration. And so I was getting a feel. I was really only there, though, for one year when I took a leap and went over to Lehman Brothers. Um, I started there on a team of six people. I was the lowest man on the totem pole. Um, just working as a sales assistant. And that was really my first introduction to Wall Street. Uh, it was a very vibrant place to work. My boss had a lot of personality. It was a trading floor like environment with a couple hundred people. Uh, we were doing private client services. So similar to what we now do today, but yep. in a very different model, which I know we'll get into later. But that was really where I first started to understand, to fall in love with the markets um, and to get an understanding and an appreciation for wealth management. And, and Wes, in terms of obviously moving from Brookline, Massachusetts to New York City. So Lehman Brothers, it was Manhattan at that point? It was Manhattan, Three World yep. Financial Center. So how was that transition for you, right? Is it because that's obviously now it's, it's you're used to a city, right? With with Boston, but even more so into New York and with three buddies and right, that that's kind of a trial by fire as well in terms of the city itself. It was amazing. I mean, I was I, I grew up in an apartment, so I was accustomed to living in the city. But New York, as we all know, is a totally different animal. Right. <laughs> and I was taking, you know, the four train downtown and uh, my eyes were very wide open at the time. I was 22, 23 years old. I was learning a ton, you know, had to get my series seven in like a week to satisfy my boss's uh, requirements. No pressure. Kind of yeah. stuff. <laughs> And then, you know, in those days, this was in the uh, mid to late 90s, the phone, we were, we were more buying and selling stocks for people, doing a lot of option exercising. And the phone would ring off the hook. You know, you'd pick it up. Someone would want a quote. They'd want to trade. It was just very active. So I, I sort of fell in love with it and liked that pace uh, mm-hmm. in a work environment. So I found it very stimulating and exciting. And to this day, I mean, things have changed a little bit. And now, obviously, we're a much smaller company. Um, but many of, many of the things that I learned in that first job have carried over still to what we do today. Mm. So and I know you just mentioned it briefly. That's kind of where you started to, to fall in love with the, the industry. Um, can you just elaborate that on that a little bit and kind of what in those experiences really made you fall in love with wealth management? So I, I think there were two things that were playing out for me. One, I did love the stock market and everything we just talked about in terms of the vibrancy of being at a large firm, working with clients. Mm -hmm. But there was also another part of me, which I mentioned briefly before, which was more oriented around psychology, interpersonal skills, working with people. Mm. So I think for me always, you know, the teaching, the coaching aspect, the question was, is there a way potentially to marry the skills I thought I had in inter, from an interpersonal and, and what I enjoyed doing from a human side to uh, this developing skill and expertise on money management and Wall Street. Mm. And the way for me, I think, to naturally do that was I thought 
I should become a financial advisor because mm. it kind of marries those two qualities, sure. especially in the early 2000s, if we're fast forwarding a little bit, when it was transitioning from more of a brokerage model of buying and selling for people to really more of an advice model. Yeah. Um, that was much more suited to my personality characteristics. And so that's really what I sort of started to love and, and come to with the, in the career path was the marrying of those two things. So some of this is uh, you're covering like, why am I a financial advisor, right? Is kind of marrying the psychology to the the technical skills that you're gathering. But obviously at that time, right, is you're kind of thinking about where you want to be and who are you and where you're going. But ultimately what kind of gave you the freedom why are you a financial advisor, right? Is, is kind of this like, well, you could have taken a, a, that form in lots of different ways. You could have worked for Lehman and maybe done a little bit more on their private, uh, private service or a private wealth management team. Sure. You could have been, so as you're figuring out, well, why are you a financial advisor? Can you kind of talk about, well, what structure you wanted it to be? Because again, you have the brokerage model, which is still even relevant today Sure. to the advice model as well. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. And I think, as I said uh, earlier, for me, it was the best fit. Mm -hmm. So it was utilizing interpersonal skills with an expertise and a love of the markets mm -hmm. to help people really achieve their goals, right? And and every everything, when you think about people's financial goals, and you guys know this now, working with clients too, everything is intertwined with their personal lives as well, right? So in the brokerage model, it's really more of a transactional um, situation. Whereas when you get into uh, more of a fiduciary concept, which I know we'll get into later and what we are, and um, putting the client's interests ahead of our own, working with them more on the financial planning side, you get a much more in-depth understanding of who they are as a person. I think you develop a different level of relationship with them. And that's really what I was after uh, mm. and what I like most about the, the job. And so that sort of was a natural progression for me to want to go in that direction and not just be in a transactional environment where you're making a commission and you really don't have the client's best interests at heart. I think when you move to the other side and you are interacting with, with clients in that manner, it's so much more fulfilling. At least it, it has been for me. Hmm. Right. And, and I'll echo that back to you, Wes, is, is kind of this, you know, like kind of for my journey kind of coming in is that same thing as I knew, I knew I didn't want to be in a transactional role, right? As I knew I didn't want to just be, hey, I'm trying to convince you to do the buyer or the sell of it without kind of aligning it to, well, why are you doing what you're doing? And I, I think that that's been what's been pretty nice. And I obviously getting to know you is that we spent a lot of our time on the why mm. is, you know, what are you trying to accomplish in your life? And, and why are you doing this? Why is this important to you? Why isn't that not important to you? All of those things make a, a big difference. And then saying, well, here's the tools of the trade, you know, stocks, bonds, whatever the things we're doing with our clients that we're doing it to build the house. Right. You know, and I use this analogy a bunch is, hey, when you're building a house, if you work with an advisor and he just kind of sits down with you or she sits down with you and says, you know, I have a really great hammer and this hammer has done like a lot. It's hammered thousands of nails. Right. It's just great. You're going to love it. And then this screwdriver, right? It, it, it just, it, it does a fantastic job screwing in these screws, but you're not talking about the house that they're trying to build. Right. Is this, Hey, here's, here's the house. I want it to be able to have this room in it. Cause this is important to me. That's what I think is pretty interesting about the fiduciary, the financial advice world is that mm. advice is talking about that house and what's important to you, what sort of things you want to do in those rooms. And then you talk about building it, not like, well, let's, let's spend all the time on the tricks of the trade and the tools and the technicals and all that. It doesn't matter if you don't know where they're going. So uh, I, I know that we've had this conversation a lot back and forth, <laughs> and it's just, it's just something where you, know, you see the disconnects in terms of the financial vice world with that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So one of the things I want to rotate to you too is, right, is as you kind of become a financial advisor and you're, you're kind of getting there, what are the, some of the least favorite things that you have about the financial advice world, right? Is because it's not just like, you know, here's where we are and here's what you're seeing as we're learning, but there's things that you're going, well, I don't like this and I do like that. I want to spend a second on what don't you like? 
So uh, as the industry has grown and changed and, and firms like ours have evolved, the tasks associated with, the, with regulation and compliance have also crept up. And oftentimes from a regulatory standpoint, they don't care whether you're small or large. They, they expect you to do the same things. So while I completely understand that we need to be regulated and that compliance is an important part of our business, mm-hmm. some of those tasks you know, feel mundane. You're doing a lot of work um, that feels like it's not necessarily even in the best client's interest, but it is you know, checking a box, if you will, from a compliance standpoint. So that can be, I guess I wish there were more either uniformity or structured or organization around understanding what you had to do from a compliance standpoint. It's, it's mm-hmm. pretty broad. So I would say in terms of the, the aspect I don't like, and, I, and look, every job has operational tasks, right. different elements to it that are uh, not the exciting part. For me personally, because I'm also the, the chief compliance officer, it's hard. It's a part of what we do. I understand it, but it can be cumbersome. Gotcha. Makes sense. So we just spent a good amount of time kind of talking about you and your journey, Wes. I want to rotate this conversation to the business, Guidance Point Advisors. Um, can you just talk about kind of how uh, Guidance Point Advisors came to be and then how it's grown or how we've grown since then? Sure, absolutely. So to pick up where I left off uh, as a sort of an intro to Guidance Point, I left Lehman Brothers in 2001 and went back to business school up in uh, Boston. Hmm. Then when I came out of business school, I got another job down in New York for a smaller firm called Retirement System Group, RS Group, mainly a retirement plan consulting firm, but they had a wealth management arm. Hmm. Uh, And I worked there helping to build out the wealth management infrastructure for from basically 2004 through 2008, that company was sold uh, to a larger retirement planning firm uh, in the area. And they didn't really have a wealth management offering, which is what I was doing at the firm the whole time. So at that point, I was deciding between either trying to leapfrog and join another firm or hang my own shingle uh, and start my own firm. And I had what I thought were probably 10 or 11 clients that would come over with me, um, whether I started a new firm or went somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, I decided to go the independent route, um, which means I, I hung my own shingle and started Guidance Point Advisors. And at that point, I was just a solo practitioner. Um, so this is now late 2008, early 2009. Okay. Uh, and it was just me for about four years. During that time too. Can I pause I, you for I a second, mean, Wes? Sure. Because I, I want to, there's some really good questions I want to ask here. Right. And, and one of the things is, okay, think back to 2007, 2008, and 2009, right? Your employer is leaving, is being sold. And you're, you're saying, Hey, I want to go hang my own shingle. It's 2008, right? The peak of the market was October of 2007. And we're starting to see the mortgage, um, uh, mortgage crisis happen. And we're seeing subprime loans blow up. You're seeing your former firm, Lehman Brothers, right? Is over a weekend goes away. And you say to yourself, you know what the best thing I should do is I should create my own firm. Well, you'll, right? you'll love this. I, I, I said the same thing to my father, and he had a, what I thought was a great line at the time. He said, it's either the worst time to start your own firm or the best time. There you because go. Of the, you know, the market was so far down. Because as you know, when you're starting a firm too, it takes several months to become approved, to get your ADV up and running. So, And thankfully, the, the old firm I worked for had gotten into contract back over the summer prior to fall of 08. So that Mm. deal was kind of locked in and I could have stayed with that firm. So it wasn't, I I had that option. I just knew I wanted to go that it was a tricky time, but I I did sort of feel uh, to my father's point that it was going to be the best time because it was only going to go, hopefully things were going to come back. And it also gave me a little time to not feel like I had to have a ton of clients coming on board. I could get my structure in place with Fidelity and Vastnet. And so it ended up working out, but it absolutely was a little hairy in the beginning. <laughs> because, you know, and, and that's, and I know we'll get to this in a second, but, you know, I, I came from a bank trust channel, 
right? And you go, okay, nothing's more secure and safe than banks, right? Is like these banks were really well capitalized and secured and all that. And I go, okay, now I'm going to join an independent firm. It's like, it never feels like there's the best time. There's always that risk, that jump you have to take. Mm -hmm. And it is extremely scary to go, I got to go out. Can I do this? You know, do I have the self esteem and the confidence to, that I'm good enough to be able to go grow a client book of business and help people? Are they going to view me as valuable, or did they view the institution I was working at as the valuable uh, part of the entity? So all of those things are really hard questions. And uh, kudos to you is like well, that. How much in terms of guts you have to have to say no? I I believe in myself. I can do this, mm-hmm. and I will be okay. Yeah, and I would I would say this. I would have had more difficulty doing that if I didn't think that I had 10 or 11 clients to sort of come with me. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't starting at absolute zero where I felt like I didn't. And I'd already been sort of doing the the exact same thing just for a smaller organization. So I did have that helped as well. But it would have been very difficult to make that decision if I were just couldn't have taken any clients. I didn't have a non-compete or anything like that. I don't know if I could have made that leap to your point. Yeah. Um, So so I want to ask another question to that. uh, Yeah, sure. Is so... Okay, now you're creating a firm, right? And one of the always the trickiest thing to kind of come up with is what the heck do we call this thing? Right? It's like, you know, I could call this anything. I could call it West Delcol, you know, wealth management or financial plan. What, you know, and you're going, what, what services do I offer? What do I want to do? How do people want to position all that? So how did you come up with guidance point advisors? So I had been going through and cycling through in my head a lot of different names and things and some were of Italian origin for like go and that kind of stuff. And But I knew guidance was something that was going to be a piece of uh, what we were doing. That just kept coming up in my sort of thought process. Like, what, what are we really doing here? We're guiding people. And then I can remember... I was in my elevator uh, of the of the building I lived in. I was going down and guidance point kind of came into my head. And I said, guidance point advisors. And then it wasn't like I was like, this is it. I sort of let it sit for a day or two. I think I, I told my wife about it or my father, my brother, someone like that. And they said, yeah, that's a, that's a good name. But it wasn't anything more complicated than that. I sort of just came up with it in my head. Uh, I probably was looking at some other firm names that might've had point or whatever and combined a few things and there, and it was off to the races. <laughs> and I actually hired a main based uh, firm cause I, I knew AJ at the time and they helped That's me AJ with Walker. design. Yep. yep. And uh, yeah, AJ Walker, who we'll, we'll talk about later, uh, our other partner. Yeah. And then they created the design and next thing I know, I really just liked it. And so we, we ran with it. Nice. So let's kind of keep moving here, right? So you're you've launched the firm, you know, yep. it's up and running. You've brought over those that initial core group of clients there. How did that uh, keep progressing in terms of all right? So we started. You're going. Obviously, you go through the financial crisis. You've you've made it to the other side. What what kind of happens next? So in 2011, I made the decision uh, first, which was a big one, to move the firm from New York to Boston. At that point, I had been in conversations with AJ, who we had just mentioned, about sort of combining efforts and possibly merging firms. He had more of a retirement plan consulting firm at the time. And so I thought, geez, Maine is, um, is you know, Boston's closer to Maine. I also grew up here, as did my wife. We had three kids at the time in Manhattan. So it seemed like it could be just a natural progression uh, to move to Boston. So that Mm -hmm. took place. I had uh, clients um, that were up here from Boston, some of those 11 I mentioned that had already grown. I would say six or seven of them were actually more Mm Boston-based because of uh, where I grew up and friends and all of that. So I also had a slightly larger referral network up here. Yeah. So I just started building really singles and doubles, like like meeting up with people who would refer me, uh, maybe through an accountant, maybe through an estate planning attorney, and sort of growing very slowly. Then in 2012, uh, and you know this story, AJ introduced me to you. We decided to all form you know, the partnership in terms of coming on board. Um, you had some clients, you were kind of in the same boat 
in terms of having some individual clients that you were bringing over. Yeah. So, and, and maybe I can just time out and just kind of fill it in real quick. Yeah, so, sure. Yeah. So I got introduced to you. Um, so you were, you worked with AJ Walker at the RS group, right? So you, Correct. you guys have been introduced at that point, had a working relationship, liked each other, knew each other. And so AJ was more on the retirement plan consulting. So 401ks and 403bs helping those organizations kind of launch their employee, uh, employee based uh, savings plans. So AJ was entering into an, uh, an agreement with the bank I was employed at, uh, Camden National Bank, uh, to essentially acquire the retirement plans that, that were there. So I was overseeing that, uh, that division of the wealth management group there. And, but I also kind of like you had my own kind of personal uh, relationships with some wealth management clients and financial planning clients. And I said, well, geez, here's people that I know and I've had, geez, seven, eight-year relationships with. Mm-hmm. W- would it be okay that they came with? Because if if maybe these other clients don't come and what happens if I'm out in the wind because not enough clients came? So that was part of it is I wanted to obviously had retirement plans that I worked with, but also personal wealth management clients and financial planning. And so that's how you and I got involved, uh, Wes, is that introduction. So that all of a sudden we went from, I think, your, your now new Boston office to Boston, Portland, Maine, and then Bangor, Maine. Yep, exactly. And, uh, and we've grown since then. Right. So then we, you know, we, we added Larry Curtis as well, Chris, uh, Abby. Um, so it's, uh, you know, so to speak just a little about where we are today, even as a firm. So mm-hmm. from those somewhat humble beginnings, um, I was just looking the other day and we have, uh, well over, you know, now 400 accounts. We, we have about 160 to 170 families that we're servicing and an asset base that's closer to 270 million. Um, mm-hmm. so we've grown fairly rapidly. Uh, I think all of us, but at a, but we've also added great people, uh, to help with that. And so it's been a very, I would say, smooth ride. Um, the other thing that I would mention that's pertinent to the retirement success in Maine podcast is when it was just me, it was much more Boston based, uh, New York. I mean, we're very, we, we have clients all over the country and even some international clients. Um, but, Right now, Maine, we have more clients in Maine than anywhere else in the country. Uh, and that's a, a credit, obviously, to you and Curtis and Abby and um, AJ. Yeah. yeah. Larry Thank as well. You. Yeah. And thanks for that. Because it, it's it's something where, like again, for our podcast, look, we know Guidance Point Advisors has reach in lots of different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, for I, I know myself and Abby and Curtis and Larry and AJ, you know, we have a nice little core here, too. And, and that's something where... We just thought, well, hey, Maters can be a little bit of a different breed here too, <laughs> good and bad, right? So let's let's kind of have something that kind of speaks a little bit more to them, which is the podcast. But again, these are lessons I hope hope any client doesn't matter where they are that there's there's some of us in all of this all these shows that we want we intend to do going forward that anybody could really learn of it and you don't have to look to their local resource to, to kind of access what we're talking about but what i want to do is i also want to kind of ask that question of the growth right is you know it's one thing to say hey i was this humble beginnings and just to kind of go hey it's great we just added this person this person this person and things just happened and we grew to you know 270 million dollars in assets and 160 families and well, it's not that easy, right? Is it just doesn't happen that way? So there's something unique here, right? Is is what I love about our team. I love working with you, Wes. I love working with Curtis and uh, Abby and in the entirety of the group here. There's something about it, and can you speak to that in terms of what do you think makes us unique? And then I want to ask the follow up question of who do we work with? But can you spend a, a, a minute just on the again? You could do, you, people have choices all over the place. They could choose any financial advisor. Why do you think they choose us? I think they choose us because of the people. I really think what makes a, an organization unique or a, a person unique, anything, is that it's the people at the firm who make the, the firm unique. And the common thread, I think, for all of us is that we all, and you and I have discussed this, Ben, I think we all view ourselves as educators. Uh, we don't come from slick sales backgrounds. Uh, the way we're structured, we're not trying to sell anyone a product 
Um, there's, there's nothing but the best interest of the clients in, in how we operate. I think we are all very much in line with that. And I think that's important because how we view ourselves and how that translates into the client experience results in a very intimate, I don't know if that's the right word, trusting uh, mm. personal relationship with the clients that mm. I think makes them feel uh, very comfortable. I also think a unique feature is because we're small and we're not about, I know I just rattled off some numbers, but we all have a very comfortable amount of clients. It's not like we're overwhelming ourselves. Mm. And that allows us to kind of work with people that we think share our values, that we think we would work well with. And so I think you put those two things together and it, it feels special. And I think that translates through to the clients. Uh, I really think that that's the, if you're talking about uniqueness, it starts with the people. Mm. What was really kind of cool getting to know you, Wes, is, you know, when you and I are getting together and talking about our backgrounds, you know, you talked about, hey, you actually thought you were going to be a teacher one day, right? Is here's, I went to school kind of thinking this, and this is where I want to be. Well, my father was a, was a teacher for, for over 35 years at a local high school here in, in Bangor, Maine. Mm-hmm. So I've grown up around kind of being the educator and kind of teaching and all of that. And, and I know Curtis has a similar story too. His mom is yeah. also a teacher. So what's yeah. interesting is here we have this education bent. It's not only impacting our clients, it's also impacting the type of uh, people that are joining our firm too. Mm-hmm. Is that the ones that are sticking and the ones that are going, hey, that's something unique. And the way they do something is something I'm passionate about because that's how I grew up and that's how I learned. So somebody like Curtis coming in on that too is continuing to grow and we're getting momentum uh, not only just from the client perspective, but also from people that are like-minded with talent and expertise and passion. Because what you, what you mentioned is that I think the caring part is that, you know, when that's what, something we want to be relaying through this podcast going forward is, hey, these, these people at Guidance what really care. Yeah. They care about their clients. They care so much about their clients mm-hmm. that they're obsessed with retirement. They're obsessed with everything retirement-based, which is why they're asking, going to ask questions about anything from like aging mental health to travel uh, bucket lists to whatever going forward. Mm-hmm. That's not just about, well, what, it, what impacts Ben and Wes and Abby and Curtis and Larry and Chris and AJ. It's, it's about what is impacting you because yeah. we want to make sure you're at the center of our service model, not us. Yep. Uh, one other point I would just make there is that we have a very, I think, interesting group of clients, right? We, we have some people who are very ultra high net worth. We have a lot of people who are emerging affluent. Mm-hmm. Um, who are living, yeah. you know, more on a paycheck to paycheck basis. We have some, a lot of millennials, uh, younger clients in their thirties who are still building, you know, just having kids. We have people in their eighties and nineties who are retired. We have a lot of people who come from rural areas. And obviously, you know, I've talked about my, a lot of people from New York and, uh, in the Boston area, urban areas. And I think, Again, the fact that we're able to connect to all of those different people speaks to what you're talking about, that it's really more about your values and the type of person you are than having any one attribute uh, or, or filling any one slot, if you will. And I, and I, I think that's shown through in terms of the, the, the different types of clients that we have. Yeah. And, and again, we're, it's not like a slick marketing type thing. We're trying to go, Hey, let's just scale this to, you know, uh, 100,000 times the way, uh, the size we are today and have thousands of employees. I, I, right. you know, it's more of, Hey, we want to grow with people that value us and, and that we value them. And there, there is a caring relationship that's happening back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I want to keep talking about the business, Wes. One piece that I think would be helpful for our listeners and our clients to kind of hear us talk about is sort of how do we get paid? I know you mentioned we don't sell anything. Um, can you just kind of elaborate a little bit on kind of how we work and the, the services we do provide? So the typical pay structure for our business model is based on a percentage of the assets under management that we are managing on someone's behalf. So let's try to give a real world example of that. Uh, if someone had $500,000 that they wanted us to manage on their behalf, mm-hmm. um, and we were charging our standard fee of 75 basis points, uh, that's an annualized fee, 
75 basis points essentially means three quarters of 1%. So for someone with $500,000, that would equate to $3,750 annually. And um, we we get that comes out quarterly from the accounts. It gets calculated on an automatic basis. doesn't have to be like a check written every quarter. That fee is also, at least in our model, inclusive of financial planning, retirement planning. And so that's it's all included in it. You don't have to uh, pay any other additional fees to us. Sometimes the investments that you invest in may have small fees, but that's separate and apart from, right. from our fee schedule. We also can, uh, and we've done this. I, I had a client last year that had all of their money in a 401k plan. They didn't necessarily need it managed. It was being managed externally, but they needed some help on the planning side just from a retirement standpoint. And so we just did an hourly um, structure where they needed a few hours of time. Uh, there's project-based. Uh, we can accommodate that as well. But the primary way is the uh, percentage of the of assets under management. Gotcha. Can you talk a little bit, uh, obviously, in terms of, so fees are a big part of it, but I know there's a question or I wouldn't say a question, maybe it's a myth, maybe it's a misnomer, but some people saying, I can't afford a financial advisor. So can you talk about maybe who can afford, but also kind of that thinking, what drives people to it, and then how we respond to that? Yeah. So I think uh, we just touched on it briefly, but for those people, um, the the woman I had just mentioned is a separate scenario, but I know, Ben, you've had even a couple of uh, maybe millennials. These are individuals who are in their 30s. Um, they're, they're, they're making, they have solid incomes, but they don't necessarily have a lot saved up. And so right. they're saying, geez, I can't really afford a financial planner. Well, the truth is you can. We could certainly work with you in that capacity, either on a project basis, like we said, or an hourly basis where we can look at things for you. We can build out different scenarios, whether it be education planning, retirement planning, budgeting, just so that you have a good feel Mm -hmm. for what you need to be doing, the steps you need to be taking, goals you need to be achieving, even on a small scale. Um, And we can do that hourly uh, at relatively low cost. So you don't have to have uh, a ton of assets. I think that is a misnomer about the industry that people say, oh, I don't have enough money to yeah. um, you know, be serviced in this way. Uh, we think we have ways that can help those kinds of people as well. Uh, and at least in my experience, in the, and I haven't had a ton of those clients, but in the times I have, it's been extremely useful. And in one case, even person then when they did accumulate funds ended up coming on board yeah. uh, as well because it's, uh, they understand what they're getting from us. So that's certainly something that people who don't have a lot of uh, investable assets at the moment could still utilize through our services. Nice. I want to I wanna talk a, a little bit about another thing is, I think with their, in the general uh, public knowledge, is, you, is I think financial advisor and financial consultant, all the kind of terms out there that can describe what you talked about earlier, Wes, in your career is kind of maybe a sales role, could be an advice role. So there's a lot of, I think, confusion, it feels like from our end when we sit down with somebody about, they don't know what to expect from us. They don't know where we sit. They don't know, mm-hmm. well, where's the next shoe to fall? And this is where you're going to get me. Ha ha. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about the myth busting here? Uh, what are some myths about financial advisors that you think are not true anymore, or maybe don't apply to us in our business? So I, I think you just hit on the the main one that is there are so many overlapping terms, how we interact with clients, how do you get paid, what services do people provide? Mm-hmm. And the truth is it's not all the same. The name financial advisor, planner, broker, fiduciary, all of these terms get thrown around. And to your point, people don't necessarily understand what they're getting. Um, and that can turn people off. So I think that's uh, imperative and, and, and something that we need to do as educators, as individuals, when we're sitting down with prospective clients, is explaining exactly how we work with them. Not shying away from the fee structure. I mean, I've, I've met with a lot of prospects where they said, oh, we're meeting with two or three people and we're walking through our structure and they'll say, Geez, the other guy didn't even talk about how they get paid. Yeah. And I said, well, that's <laughs> good, Ian. Uh, 
whatever it is. So I think that's important from us to help break down that myth. They're not going to get it from anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be able to express and have people understand how we work with them, what the fees are. Like for us, that's our only fee, right? Mm-hmm. There are no other shoes to drop. And that's the way it should be. I know I like to be talked about in, in, when I'm being sold things or, 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 or potentially purchasing services the same way that I try to express to people, right? And that's, I don't want to be sold. I don't want there to be at the end of the project, oh yes, by the way, we didn't tell you about this. That doesn't make fee- people feel comfortable. So right. I think we all do a very good job of, of laying that out in the front uh, in the beginning of the relationship so that people do understand because that's how you build trust as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So let's talk about like, again, questions about financial advisors. So let's talk about how, when we're working with a client, how do we see people and our clients define retirement success? Because at the end of the day, right? Is, you know, it's not just, well, Hey, here's my money. I've accumulated it. I'm now retiring and I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I think we're trying to figure out with them. If you're looking backwards, if you're visualizing what retirement is and what would you say were good outcomes, helping people kind of figure that out. So can you talk a little bit about, all right, what do you think maybe the general public sees as their own retirement success? How do our clients see it? And how has that changed over time? Sure. So it's definitely changed over time. And I would say the biggest uh, thing that I've seen, even in 20 years, is that people are living a lot longer. So retirement is really being uh, stretched out. And so with that comes more choices, more things to manage and deal with. But also sometimes you need a larger pool of assets to get you to the finish line. If you're talking about a quarter, sometimes even a third of your life Mm. uh, that you're going to be spending in retirement. So while there is definitely no standard definition for retirement success, I, th- I think part of the fun of our job is helping clients define what that success means to them and then helping them take the steps to get there. Yeah. I can think of a couple of clients, uh, one in particular, that were thinking about retiring a couple of years ago and their, their kids were spread out. They had one living abroad, two in California. They were from the Boston area and they decided to, they wanted to make the leap and move out to California. And so they did that two years ago and they fully retired. And uh, I just spoke to them two weeks ago and you know, they're loving it. Uh, they're having a great time. They're close. They're getting to see their uh, their grandchild all the time. They're in a better uh, environment from a um, weather perspective. So they're outdoors all the time. They're staying active. For them, that was and has been total success. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another client who's in her 60s thinking about retiring and she wants to take like a, a mini sabbatical and not you know write a book for six months and then come back to work. And for her, that being involved in work still after is really important. So I think for some people, you know, income can be important. For others, health is really important. Um, for others, it's giving back. There's lots of different ways to define retirement success. And I think for us, it's helping. This is where maybe the psychologist part of all of our mm-hmm. uh, jobs come in is, is sort of ferreting that out for them and, th- and saying, okay, I think I understand what's important to you. Let's move things in a direction that help you achieve whatever that is. I think, I think it has changed, but I think defining retirement success is something that's different for everyone. Um, and, and we have to address it that way. Well, and, and, and also in terms of success too, is sometimes, you know, you have your best laid plans and you think this is going to happen at uh, 62 or 65, whatever the age. And um, then something shocking happens in the world, right? As in the financial crisis from 07 to 09 happens. And, and people are like, well, I thought I was going to retire now. What do I do? And so I, I think sometimes it's, um, you know, where we can be, we're helpers in terms of keeping them organized, keeping them on track, giving them confidence when they lack confidence and self-esteem. So I think it's all, all of this is, hey, sometimes things change or, you know what, I broke my hip and I'm now disabled and I can't do the things I wanted to do when we talked about that vision. 
I need to adjust our vision a little bit. And here's how I want to adjust it. And then I'll, again, aligning money to purpose, right? I think if we're keep doing that continually and keeping those two things aligned, I think that's where I, I personally kind of see us as having success with our clients too, because that purpose is going to change. And all of a sudden what you thought you were going to be um, all excited about it at 65 is different than at 82. And that might be the different at 90. So because as we're getting maybe closer to end of life and thinking about that, legacy might be the thing that we all focus in on. Sure. And what's the best way to leave a legacy? And who don't want to leave a legacy to? And and what about charities? And how do I how do we start thinking about estate planning? We get in that, involved in that. And I, I think those are sorts of, of things that I've seen kind of change as well, which again is why I kind of like this whole retirement success is the, is the show title that we're launching here is because of that is, is that we all have this individualized kind of idea of what it is and we're hearing it, but you go, Oh, I don't know. How do I, how do I align your estate plan to that legacy purpose? You know, we're not estate planners. We don't want to be. We don't want to be. We're not offering that service. But let's go help them find the resource and let's help have that conversation on behalf of our clients. So I love that. That's a really cool, uh, cool thing there. Yep. I think that's well said. So, and I know we're talking about retirement success here and you gave us a couple of stories there. Um, and that's great because I think a goal for, for this podcast is to, to be story driven. Um, so that was great. Um, I want to talk about, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know, not all of our clients are in retirement or they may not even be near retirement, you know, and you alluded they may not have those assets saved up at the moment. Um, kind of, can we go in deeper there and how we can help those who may be high earners? Um, and, you know, they have these retirement goals, but they're so far out. And how can we still help them achieve those? Well, I think the first thing you do in, in those types of situations and where, where it can be very helpful is the planning side of things, right? So, yeah. you know, you have the asset management piece as one piece, and then there's the planning piece. And what do we mean by planning? So we sit down with those individuals. Uh, we talk about where they might want to be. You, you do have to make some assumptions when you're doing some form of planning, yeah. but you lay out a structure, whether it be, uh, it's typically around budgeting. So, okay, how much can we spend now? Where should we be saving? We've got a 529 plan, IRAs, 401k. By the way, we want to buy a new house. We got a new dog. We all know it's like, you can't, you can't feed all of these buckets. It gets too overwhelming. So one of the responsibilities we have is to say, okay, let's break this down possibly into smaller steps of things you could do that you can accomplish that make that don't feel so far away, mm -hmm. right? Like the, like you're saying, those individuals who are in their 30s and they're saying, I'm barely able to save right now. That's right. okay. Let's, if maybe we can chip away this way. And if you can show them, and this is the beauty of the plan, that if they only put away this much in this form, you know, in a Roth or whatever it is over time, and they retire at 65, geez, look at that. You actually yeah. got 25 years of retirement out of this. Right. And so you can help people start to think, okay, so these small things that I'm doing every day actually do have a re there's a real basis for them in my head mm -hmm. as opposed to, I don't know, should I not go have Starbucks today because it saves five bucks? Doesn't seem <laughs> worth it. So you can really help people. And I've heard that, that feedback from clients that the plan and the roadmap is very helpful in terms of them understanding why now they need to be doing things. So they, it can be very powerful in that regard for those people. And it kind of plays into helping people have different outcomes. I mean, Ben, you talked about it. On the other side of the spectrum, you start to have people who, you know, there could be diminished capacity. Uh, there could be uh, physical ailments as once they're in retirement, things that they hadn't planned for. How do we help them on that side? And oftentimes that can be, you talked about the estate planning, Ben, it's, but bringing the children, getting the children involved, yeah. um, having them understand where the parents are, getting um, certain structures in place on the account so that the kids have a say, so that that transition can be smooth. Because yeah. one thing we've also learned is people at, uh, in all ages don't love to always ask for help. They can be reluctant to. Sure. So yeah. it's up to us to kind of, almost make them feel like that's part of the service we're providing. And it is, and that's what we're there for. And so I've seen that in, in a lot of places as well. And, and I think from, from a certain generational perspective too, it's um, I, I think 
the some of the generations we're, we're working with have difficulty expressing their fears and their problems and their concerns, right? Is they don't want to share that with you because they view that as that's a weakness. And I don't, and there's a level of trust there too. And so they, they just don't want to be perceived a certain way. And I think there's pride along that. So, you know, from that end, I think that's, that can be tough too, which is again, from our end, if we can already have some of these conversations here in these type of settings, it maybe opens that door a little bit mm. and gives them, Hey, other people struggle with this too. And, and, um, you know, I think that's something where we can show what's possible and, and how, how other people have kind of worked through it and found a possible solution. So that's, that's really great. I'd love to uh, ask another question here, Wes, is it seems like a lot of the planning end is about the struggles that we have managing today versus tomorrow. Right. And, and I think that's where if, if somebody's coming to us and I think that's a lot of it as you hear this fear and almost retirees say this too, that they haven't ever had to spend from a pool of money before. Yeah. Right. That that's never happened in their life that they've accumulated this, this kind of financial resource and they've been taught to save. They meant not, they've not been taught to spend. Right. So True. then you have to, f- you have to flip the switch and say, yeah, yeah, it's fine. You can go ahead and spend from that money. And they go, no, 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 because uh, I, I, my whole goal and for the 30 years I've been training myself is to accumulate more of it, not to spend from it. Mm. So there's a little of, there's a struggle of today and tomorrow. Can you talk about what you've been seeing there and how we help people through that? Sure. And, and as you were saying that, I would say like three or four clients were popping into my head um, <laughs> who are going through that now in various uh, times of their life. Sometimes it's not even in retirement, right? It could be in buying the house you want and there being right. a large down payment. And so your bank account balance is going to go down. But yes, you're building equity over here. So there's it, you, you have to be able to think of it that way. I think the key to helping people in that situation comes back to the plan, Hmm. meaning you can show, if I can show you that spending at this level and when you take into account inflation and taxes and social security that you're getting and all the other variables that are, are real in your life and you can get to the finish line and still have that legacy amount that you'd like to give to your children. It eases the burden. The shoulders come down a little bit. People start to feel more relaxed. Now, the key with that, though, at least in the clients I know that we all work with, is you can't just set that plan and think and forget it, right? Because it mm-hmm, ultimately right. is like a spreadsheet. It's, it's, it's only as good as like the day you presented it. <laughs> so what we do is every year in our annual reviews, right? We update that information. We look at it through the new lens mm-hmm. and we make sure we're still on track. Nine out of 10 times, I would say even all closer to 10 out of 10, we are because we know what the inputs were when we ori- originally started the plan. And right. so even though things change and they all Always change. That's the other thing. It's very hard when you start predicting out 5, 10, much less 20 years out mm-hmm. because life isn't static. So part of our job is continually, uh, not just through the plan, but through our conversations with clients, making sure that we're updating and addressing everything that's going on in those people's lives. And I think when you do that and put it in sort of a, a paper or internet form that they can see and we can play with and move different dials to show how different things impact it, it shows it in a real world context that relates to them as opposed to saying, a million dollars at age 65 will get to where you want to be. That doesn't make me feel comfortable. Show me how I'm going to get there. And I think that's what we all do uh, pretty well, utilizing all the software that we have and and the inputs that we have. And it's where, quite frankly, we all spend a lot of time with our clients. Yeah, because I'd echo that the goal here is not survivability of money, right? The goal isn't just, well, how much money do I need just to survive for 30 years? Right. It's like, if that's the, if that's what we're solving for, I think that's a big disconnect to what people want. Right. And, and what, and I will say just in my career, what I've learned is I was so investment focused, just all investment focused. And it's all about just, well, if you can just make the most return you possibly can, everything kind of sorts itself out. And you find that 
outlook from a spending perspective is is as big of an input to it and it can blow that up too. So you got to be really kind of in tune to clients, as you said, with that annual review process that we have. So here I've really learned that is this whole, um, you know, and, and Curtis and I were in a meeting where you know, one client said, hey, I'm really thinking about buying that boat. You know, we've been talking about that boat and, you know, it is going to be a 30 footer. I'm really excited about it. It's, you know, and this is going to run from 80, anywhere from 80 to $90,000 is what the type of boat I've spec'd out. Well, previously, and I think of my uh, previous career stops, I would have been surprised by that. And they would have probably already just bought it and said, Hey, Ben bought the boat. Like, wait, what? <laughs> right. And, and this is something where if you're part of that planning process, geez, all of this, then the, what we're talking about is balancing today and tomorrow is showing them a trade off yeah. is say, Hey, yes, you are like, let's show you the path to yes and not be the gatekeeper to no. So how can I find that way to you? You really wanted the boat. And that was some was one thing you always wanted to have as a life purpose of, I want to be on the water more. Mm-hmm. I really get peace here. I get more calm. I can spend time with my family here on this boat. This is what it represents to me. Okay. Well, if you start asking the next question, the next question, next, well, how many weeks a year are you going to spend on this boat? Where are you going to dock it? Uh, what sort of travel is you going to do? You start getting to the utility of it. And it's like, well, hey, if you're only going to spend a week and a half a year on that boat, is it really a really wise decision to spend $90,000 on that boat? Could you rent that for a week and a half a year and get exactly what you want? Maybe even a better boat than you thought you were possible. Having kind of those conversations, widening it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't spend it, but here's how it's going to impact tomorrow and the next day and the next day by you doing that. And, and getting to that place where it works. So I, I think that's, that's a lot of it too. So I, I know you kind of mentioned that there's like, we could go all day on this about those trade-offs. <laughs> you, you just brought me both ways on the boat, by the way. First <laughs> yes. you had me sold that I needed a boat. I was getting excited. I was thinking I am calmer on the water. Yeah. And yeah. Now I'm just going to rent one. See, yes. you just you move me in both directions. Yes. So we have to, we have to have that conversation. And, um, yeah, and I know, I know the person that we've had the conversation with is going to listen to this show and go, yep, that's me. Yep. That, that's kind of what I was thinking about. But I, I do want to talk a, a little bit about going forward here, Wes, is we've just talked a lot about how things have changed over the last 20 years. And again, more of a sales to advice type model is what we're seeing now. Can you talk a little bit about what you think financial advice is going to be like for the next 20 years? And then guidance point advisors, how do you think we will change with it? Yep. So I think the delivery of advice is already changing. And I think it's continuing to evolve with technology. Um, I think we see on the investment management side, algorithms playing a larger role. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you hear a lot of talk about artificial intelligence um, in the future playing a role. And I, I think they will. And I think they'll play large roles. I still believe there will be a role for humans and tech to work together. And it's funny, as I was thinking about that, I have a, 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 a couple that are millennials, you know, in their 30s, uh, and they're in the process of buying a house, clients. And they came to me and said, hey, we want to have a chat. And they already had all of this information, which if I was thinking back to like 20, 25 years ago, it would have been so much harder to have the mortgage calculator right online. There's all sorts of articles and information. They also wanted to potentially rent one of the units by like a two family on the pros and cons of it. Like they had all of that already square rooted, but yet they still wanted to talk to somebody about how it impacts them. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just a robotic or, or technology. Uh, they still, and so I think for most of life's major decisions, if you have a, a, a trusted expert, I think that person will still play a role, um, even though AI uh, will change. Um, and, and things will change some of that. I think the marriage of the human element and tech will, will, will best serve people. I think at guidance point, um, we will continue to evolve, uh, the same way. I mean, here we are doing a podcast, um, which wouldn't, I wouldn't have been something that I think 10 years ago that I would have thought we would ever do. Um, as you guys know, we talk a lot and spend a lot on technology, whether it be HubSpot and marketing, uh, or internally on things that, uh, Fidelity and some of the, uh, you know, partners that we have from a custodial perspective utilize. Uh, the same would go for our back office capabilities. So, 
we continue to invest in technology on our end because I think people are going to expect that uh, and demand it of their uh, service providers across all industries. Um, and so, you know, we're pretty in tune with that. And Ben, I'd give you a ton of credit for that. I think you're uh, the one pushing the envelope the most for us and it's, it's fantastic. And so um, I think as long as we continue to evolve with it, um, we'll be just fine. Yeah. And, and I'll kind of add to that, Wes, is, and, you know, it's with AI and is something that you kind of talked about. There's things, you know, earlier in the interview we talked about is there's things that we don't like, right? And, and personally, what I don't like are the, all the operation stuff, right? Is that there's things that we do just, hey, it, it needs to get done, right? Is there's just things that need a process or needs to happen. And you just see more and more that you have this AI can take over a lot of the operations that this stuff can be outsourced. And, and what you just said was really what's our value to our clients. What we've talked about it several times today is that that meeting, that sit down, that those conversations we're having and then implementing, right? So the implementation, making sure it's happening. So it's more of project management and oversight of it. But do we really have to be doing all these things individually and personally ourselves? So the more we can use technology to take, I think, that stuff off of our plate, as long as it's done well, accurately, with low with low to uh, as minimized uh, error rates as we can, mm-hmm. I think the better off we are. So I think that's why... I think it's our job to continue to stress test, continue to make sure we're doing everything we can to spend more time with our clients and not get overwhelmed by and spend less time with them. So I, I think that's a that's a pressure we have within our business or our industry is is there. So, but that, I think that's a big thing. That's true. So Wes, I want to keep you thinking towards the future here. Um, as we sit here at the Retirement Success in Maine podcast uh, number one, what do you see your retirement like, and you know what? What will a successful retirement be for you? Man, that's a, that's a good one. Um, you know, we have the benefit of being able to watch all of our clients go through that process true. And, and make that leap. And uh, I watch them very closely, right? Because that's one, it's our job. And two, I want to feel out what works for, for other people and see if it could potentially work for others. I think for me, or what I've noticed is that some sense of balance is the ultimate goal. And what I mean by that is when I envision retirement, whenever that is, 20, 25 years from now, I think of potentially still having a hand in work, mm-hmm. uh, doing something, maybe a couple days a week to be stimulated mentally. Uh, and maybe it's not work at that point. Maybe it's uh, you know giving back in some capacity. But it also involves being physically active. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'd like to have the flexibility, obviously, to go visit my kids and hopefully uh, my, grand- my grandkids travel. So I think it's a combination and a balancing act in that those who uh, appear to not go too heavy in one direction, uh, because you, know, you do see it's not always the wealthiest person who seems the happiest in retirement. Um, it's, it's typically, at least what I'm seeing, is people who appear to have the most balance um, and, and moderation in a lot of different things. And so that's what I hope to achieve. We'll see if I can ever get there. <laughs> Okay. Well, Wes, we really appreciate you coming on the show uh, today. So it's, again, really great to just kind of get an intro to Guidance Point and kick off our first episode here. So really appreciate you coming on and um, we'll hope to keep in the loop for future episodes. was happy to do it. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. It's really great to have Wes on our, our first show, Yeah, right? As, uh, you know, hopefully... Hopefully we did okay for our first time. Uh, so appreciate everybody uh, kind of staying with us and listening all the way through to the end. Again, for retirement success in Maine, what we want to do in these kind of end of shows is do some takeaways, right? Is mm-hmm. is kind of what what was something that we thought was notable or we want to highlight to you as the audience. Curtis, would you maybe kind of kick us off with uh, a takeaway that you had from our conversation with Wes today? Sure. Yeah. You know, I think you you hit the nail on the head. I think it was a great way to to start this podcast series was just to kind of show people more about Wes and us as a, as guidance point as a whole. Um, and I thought it went really well. You know. 
I, I think a key piece that is important for, for people to take away from this episode is, you know, we talked a lot about who can use our services, you know, and who can work with us and who we can work with. It's, you know, it, and the short answer is, you know, anyone. So really understanding the fees and, you know, how we can do these small project fees or these one-time fees. And, you know, I know Wes and I brought up quite a few times the the younger generations and, the you know, those who may be planning for a, a retirement that's 20 or 30 years away. And, you know, you may not have the millions of dollars sitting in a bank account. Like, don't don't use that as a reason not to reach out to us because we're, you know, we're very flexible. We work with anyone. And it, it's all about, you know, setting those goals and attaining um, those retirement goals. Great. And, and I think that's a really good takeaway, right, is in terms of cost is always a big barrier for any of us, right, yeah. is I, I don't want to come into a meeting and and just be embarrassed because I can't afford something. And I, I right. use the example of lobster on the menu, right? Mm. And why do we not order lobster on the menu a lot of times? Because it says market price. Yeah. No, you're and right. You don't you don't want to ask what the market price is. And you're like, oh, never mind. Right. You don't want to get in that meeting, right? And, and I know that's a big barrier here. And we want to make sure we're oh, we're a transparent with what things cost mm. and who we work with and how we work with them. Yeah. One of the things that I want to highlight to uh, to you guys as a takeaway for today was well, again, why do we start with Wes? Why did we start with Guidance Point Advisors? Because it really is not meant to be, hey, this is the radio, the advertisement of Guidance Point is just great. And they're just great. And we're just going to keep highlighting that into your brain for every episode. The idea being, hey, here's what we believe in, right? Here are our core values. Mm -hmm. Here's the things that really drive us and why we care and what things we want to be working with our clients on. Plus this concept of retirement success, right? right, Is if we as financial advisors are just going to spend time on your money and not on you as kind of the, the, the person, look, you're the client, Mm -hmm. your money's not the client, right? right? Is you are the thing we're trying to help. Mm -hmm. And the more we can understand you and retirement success as an idea for you, the more that we're going to be successful with you about money. It's not about saving it, spending it. It's about ultimately your attainment of happiness. Exactly. And and if we can find ways to align your money to your happiness over time, the more successful you're going to be, the more successful we're going to be because we're going to be doing ultimately a better job for you. And and I think that's a lot of what we want to do. So why are we doing this whole podcast retirement success in Maine? <laughs> Well, again, retirement success is what I think the, what are we solving for? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and again, for, for our team, what we hear about is we get questions on, well, where can I go? Yeah. What local resources do you have? And I think that's a lot of the premise that we wanted to highlight for you. So again, for yeah. that, uh, we wanted to show you that as, as kind of the piece today. So hopefully that did it as a wrap up too. We do have a blog that we want to, uh, kind of point you to. Mm-hmm. So you can go to our blog and you can get a transcript of this podcast so you can read it. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a part you want to uh, kind of read over. Yeah. Welcome to do that. We're going to highlight resources so you can see uh, other resources or things you can access. So for every episode, we'll do that. And you can listen to the show through this blog too. Yep. So if you go to our blog, which is blog.guidancepointllc.com and it's going to be backslash one. One. Number so, one. Number one. Yeah, just put one there. And <laughs> and for every episode going forward, you can just use that uh, the different number will access each individual episode. Mm-hmm. So go to that. And th- again, that will be the place where you can get a kind of a warehouse of information and resources about this show. Yeah. So uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, we're really excited and anxious to show you more. Uh, again, we'll, we'll promise to continue to get better. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Look forward to number two. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.